As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask NT Wright Anything podcast. Hello and welcome back to today's show. It's Justin Briley, Head of Theology and Apologetics at Premier Unbelievable, bringing you another edition of the programme that gives you the thought and theology of N.T. Wright, where you get to ask the questions and done in partnership as usual with N.T. Wright Online and SBCK. And uh, forgive me if you can hear any wind whistling through my windows in the background. We've had a very windy couple of weeks here in the UK, but we're still here despite Storm Eunice and bringing you some more interesting stuff today, continuing to look at the theology of death but from a more practical angle today questions like when we die are we asleep or with jesus questions around cremation versus burial you'll find out which of those tom would prefer and what about organ donation uh, thanks by the way to those who leave comments about the show review the program mama bear never sleeps left this this is my favorite podcast by far i look forward to every new episode after i began devouring this podcast i went back to listen to every older episode from the beginning N.T. Wright has a lot to say about the Bible and modern Christianity. He gives detailed insight into scripture and gentle reminders of God's love for us. I just love this podcast. Thank you very much. Please, if you haven't yet rated and reviewed the podcast, uh, if you do that, it helps other people to discover the show. You can find out more about us, of course, at asknTwright.com. And just before we leap into today's show, just a reminder that our Ask Philip Yancey Anything event from Premier Unbelievable coming up on Tuesday the 1st of March. You can register free to be part of that audience from anywhere in the world. It's going to be a live Q&A with one of the most significant voices in the evangelical church from the past few decades. And you can also now book for Unbelievable the Conference 2022. That's happening on Saturday the 14th of May, live from the British Library in London, but you can attend from anywhere in the world online. Our theme, God Unmuted, helping the church to find its authentic voice again. Guest speakers will include Alistair McGrath, Lisa Fields, Glenn Scrivener, John Wyatt, Phil Vischer and Sky Jatani, and more to be announced. For both of those events, unbelievable.live is the link you need and it's with the podcast on today's show let's get into our questions well welcome back to another edition of the podcast and we're really continuing a conversation on the issue of of death and dying from last week Um, we had really theological questions last week on this tom today edging towards more practical questions so there's there's an awful lot of overlap obviously between them um uh, and, and wanted to, to bring a couple that are related to, to begin with. Um, firstly, Tyler 
in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, says, I know that Dr. Wright has written extensively about how the Hebraic notion of humanity cannot be separated into a body and a soul. But that idea is so prevalent in our culture that many of my congregants, I serve as a pastor, cling to that idea and find hope in it. As their bodies deteriorate, they find hope in the eternal nature of their soul. Now, when it comes to the issue, Dr. Wright, how do you pastorally meet people where they are, but also teach a congregation a more biblically based understanding of what it means to be human? And um, and then I'll also ask, well, let's ask, let's answer this one and then we'll go to Stephen in Riverside's question, which is also about what happens when we die. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I'm very much aware of the, the kind of pastoral edge to this question because one of the last times that I was with a couple that knew that the husband was going to die within a matter of two or three weeks um, and, and they, the, both the couple were uh, Christians but in a, in a quiet way and not a very well-taught way. They hadn't been lifelong attenders at a, a good teaching church, for instance. Um, I took the decision that I would stick with the kind of language that they knew and were familiar with and the kind of biblical exegesis that they would be familiar with. So I went to John 14, where Jesus says, in my father's house are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I could see them visibly relax and kind of a sigh of relief they were going to trust Mm. this promise. Now, I feel a bit bad about that because I know that what I was conveying there is not what I would actually regard as the full truth of what's going on in John chapter 14. But when people are absolutely faced with the imminent reality of one of them dying after a 50-year marriage, then this is not the time to be saying, now, forget everything you've heard, let's go back to the beginning and talk about how the Bible sees human beings. I, I think that this is something that, as pastors, we often have to do to, to work with the people that we've got where we've got them. Um, and I've often said the time for teaching about the resurrection of the body is not at the funeral, um, but rather is in the ordinary course of teaching in church. At the funeral, people are not ready to and able to hear different mm. things. But if one can, if one can, what I would push towards is not the platonic view, obviously, which is of a body and an eternal soul. That is not taught in the Bible. It is not taught in the New Testament. When the New Testament uses the word for soul, psuche, it doesn't mean what you what that writer means and, and it, in the platonic sense. Rather, what you get in the New Testament is the spirit. And this, the, the Holy Spirit is a very different idea, reality, to the soul in Platonism. And Paul talks mysteriously about the Holy Spirit and our spirit. And it's as though he's saying, look, the Holy Spirit um, indwells us now. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit, our Godward interiority, if you like, which is not the same as a Platonic soul. And the Holy Spirit, after our death, will hold on to us so that then, ultimately, the Holy Spirit will be the agent of our resurrection. Romans 8, verses 9, 10, and 11 is absolutely crucial. The, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of dikaiosune, God's covenant faithfulness, righteousness. Therefore, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised the Messiah from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So to talk about the indwelling Holy Spirit that then when we die, the Holy Spirit will look after our spirit in the presence of 
Jesus. Paul says, my desire is to depart and be with the Messiah, which is far better. And then the Spirit will raise us. Now, you may say, in counseling a couple, one of whom is about to die, mm. there's not a lot of difference between saying what mm. I just said mm. and saying, well, you'll die, but your soul will go to be with God. What they will hear is the word of comfort from the Creator God. And that's what they need at the moment. So yes. pastorally, that's where I would want to go. In teaching, I would want to have a more robust yes, theology of yes. the Holy Spirit as the and, means of continuity and of resurrection. That, that, that's a really helpful distinction there. You know, a, a funeral is not necessarily the place to correct people's theological right. understandings. Right. Um, but um, right. here's, here is a sort of, if you like, more theological sort of question on that front uh, from Stephen in Riverside, California, who says, um, I'm wondering if after we die and we are then at rest in paradise with Jesus until we're resurrected into the newly created heaven and earth. But will we be conscious in that paradise or is it essentially a bit like sleeping and we'll wake up when it's time for our bodily resurrection? What, what do you think, Tom? Yes, th there have been some wise Christian teachers who've taken the word sleep literally. Paul uses the word sleep. Um, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be mm. changed. And those who've fallen asleep in First Thessalonians 4, um, that is coming from the Old Testament language, particularly in Daniel 12. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, <clears throat> where it seems pretty clear it's a metaphor for death and resurrection. And I would say, granted what Paul says in Philippians 1 about my desire is to depart and be with the Messiah, which is far better. From that, I conclude it will be conscious. It will not be an unconscious thing like mm. uh, a dreamless sleep, because I don't think Paul would have said it would be far better if it was going to be unconscious. And um, the whole idea of the Spirit uh, taking us to be with the Messiah, um, all that we know of the Spirit and all that we know of Jesus is love. And the idea that we might be surrounded by and bathed in love, but we wouldn't know about it, seems to me a contradiction in terms. So even though it's very mysterious, I believe we will be conscious in the interval between bodily death and bodily resurrection. But that uh, that being dead and then being bodily alive again is such a sharp contrast that the image mm. of sleep and wake is still quite a good one to use. And I suppose it's also a mystery as to how that existence, that state would necessarily interact chronologically with what is continuing to happen, as it were, in creation on, you know, for those who, who remain alive. Does it exist in a sort of different sort of relationship to time or? It, it, well, Yes, I'm very wary of people who say, well, we will then be outside time. I don't think we're told mm. that. And when Paul talks in Romans 8 about God's future for the whole creation, that the whole creation will be set free from its bondage to decay um, and because of the freedom that it will have when God's children are glorified, that hasn't happened yet. Um, mm. Therefore, the idea that some people have put out that we are sort of fast-forwarded into God's future, I just don't think that will quite work. Um, mm. that, that's a, it's a complicated question. In a yeah. sense, it doesn't ultimately matter. What matters is that we are called to trust completely that God will absolutely look after us and, and delight us with his presence and love, both in the immediate after death and in the ultimate future. Yeah. I, I have in mind when I ask that is is because going back to the first question, I have a friend, a dear dear young lady, who um, 
uh, was mm. rather disturbed when in our church my wife lucy started to sort of sketch out that idea of of actually really what heaven is about is this new creation being raised into god's and and was very concerned but i i want my dear aunt or my great grandmother to be looking down at me from heaven right now and yeah. and it's very difficult to sort of yeah say well maybe maybe not you know because that's a very comforting idea to that that dear person but but obviously isn't necessarily quite theologically i I have i have met that um i have met that in in my own family people saying i'm sure so and so looking down and feeling pleased um i see that as a kind of mythological way of talking about our good memories and about Mm. the fact that relationships and i'm conscious of this now playing with my grandchildren Mm. and so on that i hope i am giving them a store of good memories which when i'm no longer present they will remember the sort of person i was which hopefully in a good way may uh, sustain them in certain ways in how they live their lives um I would rather they didn't then mythologize this into, oh, grandfather's up there looking down, because actually there's nothing in the Bible which encourages that, and there's quite a bit in the Bible which discourages that. Let's go to another um, uh, set of quite practical questions on this, and these regard sort of what to do, as it were, with the body once once we have died. Um, For instance... um, uh, there's the whole issue of cremation versus burial. Here's three questions, which just shows how popular this is among people sending questions in. Lindy from South Africa says, my parents are elderly and in declining health. Although throughout my life, there've been models of strong faith. I see anxiety and an unwillingness to talk about death, which saddens me. A complication is that they find the idea of create cremation abhorrent, non-Christian. But we live in a part of the world where cemeteries are full of poorly maintained. So many opt for cremation. How can I help them in grappling with these issues? Is there a particular Christian view on cremation versus burial? Alfredo in Paso Robles, California. What does the scripture teach about cremation versus burial? I've believed that it didn't matter. But after reading Surprised by Hope and listening to Tom, I've been pleased to have my whole world theologically turned upside down in the best kind of way. He says, being a typical American evangelical. So now I do question my view on cremation as a Christian. And finally, uh, Nigel in Peterborough says, does the Bible indicate the preferred method for disposal of our earthly bodies at death, namely burial or cremation? So they're all asking the same question in different ways, Tom, with different particular reasons behind it. But but what's your thoughts on this? Yes, uh, I'll start with Nigel from Peterborough. The Bible doesn't indicate anything about the preferred mode of burial. And indeed, I think virtually nobody in the Christian church now gets buried in the way that a first century Jew, including first century Jewish Christians, would get buried, which is a two-stage burial where the body would be wrapped up with spices and so on and put, along with other decomposing bodies, in a cave. And people would come and go and come and go. And when the flesh had all decomposed, then the bones would be collected and folded up carefully and stored reverently in an ossuary, a bone box, which would then be put at the back of the same cave or in some other convenient place. Now, we none of us do that these days, and I'm not sure um, 
who last did. Um, so the, the, the Bible doesn't say you must do it this way, you must do it that way. And people in biblical times know just as well as we do that a lot of people die when they're lost at sea, they're drowned and their bodies are never found. Or if they're washed up on the shore, somebody will probably burn them because that's uh, more hygienic than having them lying around. Likewise, people knew perfectly well that people would die in fires, that their bodies would be reduced to ashes. Um, and the early Christians don't seem to bother about um, any of those as that's what's going to happen. And indeed, when the question is raised, then teachers like Arrhenius at the end of the second century AD and Tertullian, end of the second beginning of the third century AD, they say very clearly, this is not a big deal in terms of resurrection because God is the creator who is going to recreate, he's going to do new creation and it will really be you, but God doesn't have to take the exact same atoms and molecules. Mm. That's really rather important. Um, C.S. Lewis makes the point in um, I think it's in his book Miracles that, that resurrection doesn't mean that we get the exact same bits and pieces back again. God can, it, God can do that if he wants to. But actually, we share stuff around. Um, our bodies are in a constant state of flux so mm. that every atom and molecule in my body is completely different from what was here 10 years ago because it's roughly every seven years yeah. we change the whole molecular kit so that it's not a big deal to get the same stuff back again. Um, and God can do uh, the new creation which he's promised. Now, granted all that, then the question of cremation and burial. I'm sorry to hear from Lindy in South Africa about cemeteries being full and poorly maintained. This is a problem in many parts of the UK as well, when cemeteries are old, graveyards around churches, and people look and they're not well maintained, and the stones are falling down and so on. Um, I visited my parents' grave just recently in um, Morpeth in Northumberland in northern England, and was sorry to see that around in, in, in the graveyard there were signs of decay and, and so on, and, and that's, that's very sad. Um, but the answer to that is, let's work with churches to try to maintain well-ordered uh, graves, because actually burying in the earth symbolizes what's said in the Bible, you are dust and to dust you shall return. That's not a very happy thought, but it's you were taken from the dust to the mm -hmm. ground and you go back to the dust of the ground. There's a wholesomeness about that. Whereas the deliberate and staged burning, I find makes the wrong point and actually cremation became popular in the UK at the same time as people were starting to doubt bodily resurrection and were reverting to a platonic view of the soul escaping and going somewhere else mm. and of course that then fits with a sort of a Hindu view of burning the body mm. and the soul being mm. some, somewhere else mm. entirely and so insofar as cremation can make the wrong point symbolically I would prefer burial and actually my wife and I have specified in our will that we want mm. to be buried and mm. not not mm. cremated mm. however most of my elderly relatives who have gone before have been cremated and since most of them are definitely practicing Christians I fully expect that God will raise them from yeah. the dead as yeah. well so in the long run it's not a big deal but as a witness to what the Christian faith is all about I much prefer burial because yes. how that is perceived or how cremation is perceived that's that's really helpful to distinguish the the symbolic aspect of it from from the actual you know sp specifics about whether it really makes a difference in the exactly, long run. But exactly. um, yeah, 
Um, very much a related issue then in this sense. And I don't know how personal you want to be on this front as well, Tom, but organ donation. Um, this is Leslie in Canton, Mississippi. And also, uh, forgive me if I mispronounce this, I think Teje, uh, perhaps from the Netherlands, um, asking similar questions. Uh, Leslie says, I've heard you speak about cremation and burial, and I know you favour burial because of the respect it gives the body. But is donating your body to medical science appropriate and respectful to our bodies? My mother has signed up to donate hers, and I'm thinking about doing the same. I'd love to hear your insights, and we've been greatly blessed by your books and lectures, says Leslie. And in like manner, uh, I think it's Teje from the Netherlands says, I have a question concerning organ donation. I often hear Professor Wright explaining that thinking of ourselves as merely spiritual beings that inhabit bodies is a Gnostic concept, not a Judeo-Christian one. If I understand correctly that I am my body, what consequences does that have for how I should view organ donation? Not just after I die, but also while living, for example, a kidney. And is being brain dead dead enough if I am not just my brain? I know you're not a doctor, but would love to hear a bit more theological input in this discussion. More than the usual, love your neighbours, so donate your organs argument. Um, so, yeah, both donating your whole body for, for, for the purposes of um, medical science and indeed organ donation, either while living or post-mortem. What, what are your thoughts on all of that, Tom? Yes, uh, great questions. And I was relieved when Teiji, if that's how you pronounce it, said, I know you're not a doctor because I'm emphatically not a doctor. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a scientist. Uh, I, I've not got the detailed knowledge here. Um, I, I do think in terms of the whole dynamic of the gospel, which is about Jesus giving his body uh, for, for the life of the world and giving his body in the form of bread and wine this is my body this is my blood to be your food and drink there is something very dramatic about that uh, which somehow resonates with organ donation and I'm a bit conflicted about this because I think if say my parents had said they wanted their bodies to go for medical research or to be used for organ donation I think I would have found that quite difficult in terms of you know we want to be very respectful and careful mm -hmm. for this dear body that has nurtured us and which we have known and loved and so on so i think there is a to and a fro i don't want to be casual about it um and and, and i think the wishes of the nearest and dearest are really quite important at this point because it, it, if if things are done wrong after a death or seem to be done wrong or, or casually, then sometimes people can be left for years with a sense mm. of unresolved grief that we wanted to be able to say a proper goodbye, but the body was taken off and we don't know what happened to it. You know, th that's, that's a terrible thing in terms of the long-term effect on somebody. I don't actually know what happens when somebody gives their whole body to medical research. Um, do, does the laboratory um, give what, what little remains back to the family afterwards? Um, I would hope they do, and I would hope that then there is a time for an appropriate uh, funeral or whatever. Uh, I simply don't know how that works, and it may vary from country to country and culture to culture. But the whole Christian gospel is about self-giving love. So um, in all sorts of ways, if somebody mm. chooses to say, I want as many people as possible to benefit from what's left of me, well, I would say, if somebody really wants to do that, that seems to me a mm. fundamentally Christian impulse. And uh, since God is not committed to using the same molecules to put me back together again in the resurrection, then it seems to me that that will be a perfectly okay option from a Christian point of view. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope that's been helpful. And thank you again for your wisdom and thoughts on all of these issues, Tom. On some what are often, you know, questions we often don't face up to until, you know, they're really staring us in the face. But but it's helpful to think ahead of time, isn't it? And and to think through what we would want and and what it means symbolically and uh, practically as well. I I say this to myself because this is not a a question that my wife and I have had discussed with our children. Um, And maybe we should. Um, maybe we should mm. remake our wills and discuss with the children what we are thinking about in in that respect. But that's a question for us. Indeed. Well, thank you for being with us on this edition of the show, Tom, and we will see you next time. Thanks for being with us today on the show. You can receive more news from the show by registering at askntright.com and you'll get a link to ask a question too if you do that. Until next time, have a good week. And next time, your questions on baptism. What happens at baptism? What was the significance of the baptisms that John was performing before Jesus' death and resurrection? And what does Tom think about the old infant versus believer's baptism question? That's coming up next time. And just a final reminder to go to unbelievable.live to register for our upcoming live webinar with Philip Yancey on Tuesday the 1st of March. And you can also check out the ticketing for our Unbelievable conference in May there as well. It's going to be fab. Unbelievable.live. And the link is with today's show. See you next time.